lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. All right, let's get to it. Happy Tuesday. A lot to get to here today. Steve Dace, welcome. That's me. Welcome to our program here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Steve Dace here alongside Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre. And then there's all of you. You can let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox. Email the program steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. I should warn you. Uh, over on Facebook, you saw a return of hashtag Facebook approved takes. And when you see what accompanies that hashtag, hashtag, you'll realize why I attach that to it in order to slip it past the Skynet over there. Uh, you can also just uh, skip all the censorship and follow us instead on MeWe, Parlor, Gab, and Getter. Just look for me, Steve Dace, there. And then look for clips of the show that you can watch for free and then free of censorship when you go to rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. Once more, that is rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. I mentioned we have a lot going on today. Uh, later in the program, we'll talk to Rachel Bovard. She has written a piece talking about if we are betrayed by Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett. Going to be betrayed. Uh, on the life issue. To betray us. Then once and for all, we have to blow up the conservative legal movement. We should have already. So we will be discussing that coming up. How was that Joe Biden impersonation? Was that okay? There's fewer democracies now! Still was that way, one better? Still way too lucid. Okay, thank you. Uh, should I come over and sniff your hair? Would that one no. be on point? Well, no, you're not a, th- a nine-year-old girl, so no. No, would not be. Uh, you're a grown-ass man. That would be my Lindsey Graham impersonation. But I digress. It's going to be one of them days. It's going to be one of those days. Yes. Gird your loins. Guys, we've got Emerald Robinson fresh off a Twitter suspension on the overtime today. Yes, it is going to be one of those days. All right. So we'll get into the all-in moment for the conservative legal movement. Also next hour for Pop Culture Tuesday, I spent nearly three hours watching a film and I have no idea what it is about. I mean, I really don't. I don't know what it's trying to say. I don't I don't have a clue what it means. Um and, and the thing, too, is it certainly gives you the vibe all the way through that, that it takes itself very seriously. And this is the latest offering from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's the Eternals. And uh, we'll go over that uh, next hour with Pop Culture Tuesday. Our old friend on YouTube, The Critical Drinker. Remember he did that uh, incredible breakdown of Captain Marvel a couple of years ago, yes. right? I sent you guys his review of The Eternals. It's about 10 minutes. Have you watched it? I have. It's glorious. I mean, we can't play it on our airwaves because it would, I'd have to turn Aaron bleeping this thing into a part-time job, all right? But it is a glorious 10-minute watch, is I, it not? I could listen to him narrate, like, getting my oil changed or yes. something. <laughs> yes. I'm not even sure I totally agreed with his review. I just really enjoyed uh, his review nevertheless. So we'll get into the... Uh, the what and. and this is supposedly now the vanguard of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, according to Kevin Feige. That's me doing the Steve Carell gif. Uh, yikes. So we'll talk about that next hour. At the bottom of this hour, we will have fake news or not. And it's official. Russian collusion could very well be the fakest story that ever faked. Sean Davis from The Federalist will walk us through. It's a low bar. The, and it's a low bar, indeed. But, I mean, this one... 
I mean, this one's down to the Earth's nickel core crust of fake. Uh, Sean Davis of The Federalist will be joining us to talk about that here at the bottom of the hour. But before we get to all of that, here is Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by the curious case of Gavin Newsom. The California governor has not been seen in public since receiving his COVID booster shot on October 27th. Newsom was slated to appear at the Globalist Warming Festival in Scotland last week, but abruptly canceled those plans. California's lieutenant governor says... Unfortunate that he couldn't make it. You know, the governor has a young family. Last night, amid swirling rumors that the governor is dealing with an adverse reaction to his booster shot, like Bell's palsy, Newsom's office said he'll be participating in a fireside chat at the 2021 California Economic Summit in Monterey later today. Some pundits, like Rational Grounds Justin Hart, a Californian, says the governor's absence may be a ploy to make vaccine critics look bad. Meanwhile, in Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis is apparently considering terminating the state's relationship with OSHA as the specter of the Biden White House's vax mandate on large businesses looms through court battles. DeSantis says, Nobody, no cop, no firefighter, no nurse, nobody should be losing their jobs because of these jabs. We have got to stand up for people and protect their jobs and protect their livelihoods. According to CNBC, the White House has implored businesses to ignore a court ruling over the weekend, which put a stay on its aforementioned plans to force large businesses to vaccinate their employees. The U.S. Marines are joining in the vaccine love fest. Marine Corps General David Berger had this to say in a vax PSA. When something bad happens around the world and the president says, I need, I need to know how long it's going to take to get Marines there. Well, it's too late, too late then to get vaccinated. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy is holding kids hostage via muzzle if parents don't get them vaccinated. My, my hope is particularly with our kids under the age of 12 that now being able to get the vaccine that we will at some day sooner than later be able to lift the mask mandate that we have in schools. Meanwhile, back in California, a massive crowd rallied in downtown Los Angeles yesterday protesting the city's vaccine mandate. In other news, after Representatives Louis Gohmert and Marjorie Taylor Greene toured the D.C. Metropolitan Jail and visited the remaining detainees of the events at the Capitol on January 6th, those detainees are being moved into better conditions. Congresswoman Taylor Greene spoke about the conditions the political prisoners are being kept in on Tucker Carlson last night. But you see, if they're not vaccinated, they can't get a haircut, they can't shave. They're given Nair to chemically remove their hair instead of be able to get a haircut. If they're not vaccinated, they're not allowed to go to chapel. If they're not vaccinated, they're not allowed to have communion. You see, even in jail, in prison, unvaccinated people are treated like second-class citizens. But it's worse than just that. They haven't seen their family members since they've been arrested. They aren't able to talk to their attorneys when they want to. The food that they're given is not good food. Many of them are sick. There's several men in there that really need medical treatment. They're being denied. There's an elderly man in the jail whose hand is purple and his thumb is black, and they begged me to get him out of there. They're really suffering. They're being treated badly. And Tucker, here's the, here's the worst part. These are pretrial defendants, and they're not allowed to bail out. And they're told they have to denounce President Trump and what they believe if they want to make bail. Last week, Carlson featured a week-long docu-series on getting to the bottom of what really happened on January 6th. In the series, he interviewed friend of this show, Julie Kelly of American Greatness, and asked her a poignant question. What about the president on whose behalf they were gathered that day? Like, has anybody sent them money? I mean, has anybody 
really raised the people around him. Brad Parscale, all these people are getting rich, right? Right. Complaining that the last election was rigged, which it clearly was, right. obviously. Yes. And they're making all this money, and all these people are sending all this money down to Florida. But is any of that money going to defend these people who went to this rally on behalf of that candidate? Not that I know of. And I will say no, no. And it's a question that I've been asking myself, and I know a lot of them have been asking too. You know, we were there, and a lot of them were there to support Trump. They were there to support Trump. Yeah. They were there to protest the election being taken from him unlawfully. Um, but aside really from a few comments about political prisoners, and he has said a few things about Ashley Babbitt, to my knowledge, and I'm pretty involved in what's happening with the defendants, especially the detainees, no, there has not been anything, any financial aid coming from anyone of a prominent position to help these people. I just find that appalling. I, do I really too. do. I, I really find that appalling. Now that Congress has passed the $1.5 trillion infrastructure bill, former South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg has billions of dollars to play with. Here's what he's focused on. If a highway was built for the purpose of di dividing a white and a black neighborhood, or if an underpass was constructed such that a bus carrying mostly black and Puerto Rican kids uh, to a beach, or it would have been, uh, in New York was, was designed uh, too low for it to pass by, that that obviously reflects racism that went into those design choices. Um, I don't think we have anything to lose by confronting that simple reality. MSNBC tweeted, then deleted this. Why the inflation we're seeing now is a good thing. Story from Time Magazine, how American shoppers broke the supply chain. A new study by Arizona Christian University finds 39% of 18 to 24 year olds in the United States identify as some part of the rainbow flag. A new poll from the Trafalgar Group finds only 67% of Americans disapprove either strongly or in general the Biden administration's plan to pay illegal aliens $450,000 per family. And finally, how the CDC creates new mandates with comedian J.P. Sears. Hi, I'm Cletus Hacklesmith. I work at the CDC, and I'm in charge of making stuff up, specifically making up new health mandates. Here at the CDC, we have strict scientific processes for how we determine what guidelines to give the public to keep them safe and controlled. Passport mandates are the latest health campaign we're pushing to control people. In our view, creating two classes of citizens keeps everyone safe because it keeps everyone divided. And that's purely based on the latest science. Some people don't understand how science works. Therefore, they get mad at us for making contradicting recommendations. What people need to realize is science changes. Good science moves in a zigzag circular pattern that backtracks on itself. Our most recent analysis to see if masks are currently effective against the virus is almost complete. As you can see, the most up-to-date research shows masks are still necessary. And you can't argue with the science. And that's what happened while we were away. That's probably closer to the truth than any of us would prefer to admit. Aaron's Montage brought to you by Better Spectacles. Have you bought a pair of glasses and then thrown them in the drawer and never worn them again? We're told to just go home and get used to those progressives you don't like. Well, now, thankfully, our friends at Better Spectacles, they're bringing the five-star equipment with German-engineered Rodenstock eyewear available for the first time here in the U.S. If you want to know what it looks like, it looks a lot like the glasses I'm wearing right now. 
because that's exactly what I am wearing right now. Rodenstock is a 144-year-old company considered the world's gold standard in optometry with over 500 patents. And now they can take their world-class frames and apply them to even difficult prescriptions like mine because I use prescription. I use progressives. The only thing probably progressive about me. Uh, a little a little far, a little near, not quite ready for bifocals. I almost said not quite ready for buy. I realized this is in the Lindsey Graham show, so I needed to move on. All right, so if you want to give these things a shot right now, you can schedule a tele-optical appointment, and you don't even have to leave your house to get their award-winning uh, opticians to find out what works best for you right now when you go to uh, when you go to betterspectacles.com slash Steve. They'll give you 60-plus percent off to get you started as well. 60-plus percent off their Go-Spec lenses with the free handcrafted Rodenstock frames right now when you go to betterspectacles.com slash Steve right now. So let's get to this montage. And I want to go to the comments that, that Julie Kelly made to Tucker Carlson. And um, what's the benign, innocent explanation for that? They have raised an insane amount of money. And here's, here's a, you know what? I'll do it. Because it's usually left to me or somebody like me to do it. Because the, let me tell you what, what, what the conservative media employee handbook says I'm supposed to do today. For maximum clickage, I am supposed to take the low-lying fruit from Pete Buttigieg and spend 20 minutes ridiculing that to many cheers and claps and clicks, right? That's the conservative media employee handbook says that's what I am supposed to do, okay? And... It's not like that's not deserved. He's a clown. But um, I'm assuming you know this if you're watching or listening to this show. If you're watching and listening to this show and you did not know Pete Buttigieg is a total clown, I want to welcome you to humanity. Where have you been? Can we do anything about the fact that Pete Buttigieg is a total clown? Apparently not. Apparently not. Is anybody that will determine whether or not Pete Buttigieg continues to receive a platform to spew his clownness? Do they care what people like us think? Mm. No. So then why would I spend all this time on a matter I have no control over, you and I have no control over, and will be completely irrelevant when there is a matter at hand that we do have some control over. I'll tell you why. Because it's going to piss some of you off. Oh, well. Here's, my, here's the question I always ask myself. In fact, can you guys think of how often we have sat around here before or during a show and asked ourselves, is this really just going to piss everybody off if we do it? I mean, how many times have we had that conversation in the six years you guys have been working for me? Usually it ends up, uh, if the answer is affirmative, okay, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. if yeah. we do, it's because we, <laughs> it's we're trying to. Yes, yes. Uh, we have all kinds of conversations about, is this true? 
could we defend this? Is it worth going there from a risk-reward standpoint? Meaning, can we prove something and therefore it's worth taking the heat or putting other people in the under the microscope for it? We have those conversations like regularly, right? Sure. But I, I, we, we don't care if it pisses you off. I mean, we just really don't. We just really care about it if it's true. We don't really worry about our tone in these parts. And we don't really you know about we don't, don't really worry about our tone. So, so let me ask a couple of questions. And I think, I think now, by the way, is the time to be asking these questions. Let's not sit around and wait until like the fall of 2024, should we be fortunate enough to make it there, and ask these questions then. Because by then, it will be too late. Because there will be a literal communist running for president, either one with dementia or a, some form of cackle. And then if he's still healthy, Donald Trump. And that's probably not, you know, like post-Labor Day of 2024, the best time to be asking questions like this when we're trying to evict communists from the most important house in America. Fair? Fair. So, so, so maybe now is a good time to start having some of these conversations, right? You'd think. So we're going to have them. What is the benign and innocent explanation for the crap ton of money that they have raised down there? Where are all the where are all the lawsuits against the election? Do you guys know where they are? Not any good ones. Anyways. I mean, I mean, I'm I'm not talking, you know, like Rudy Giuliani YouTube videos. I'm talking like real lawsuits against election integrity. Where are they? Are they happening? I don't know. Where are they? It's just our poor lonely friend in Wisconsin doing all the work. Apparently. Yes. Yeah. Kay Mueller. Karen yes. Mueller. Yeah. I mean, I I, I saw that I saw that uh, that Cretan hack. Secretary of State from Georgia yesterday on TV on MSNBC when I was at the gym. Here's a question. Why would a Republican Secretary of State feel safe to go on MSNBC and discuss election integrity? Uh, because he is working, he's on the other team. That, that would be why. That's the only answer why. So where are all these lawsuits? Where are they all at? Real ones. Secondly, what is the benign, innocent explanation? You know, one of my Ten Commandments of Political Warfare in Rules for Patriots. We did a whole show on these several years ago and, and pointed out how Trump won in 2016 when, because he literally stuck the landing on all ten of these. Remember that? We mm-hmm. did that show. Might have even been a series of shows, if I recall. One of those commandments is what? Never do what? Never abandon whom? Your base. Your base. Unless they're morally wrong. You don't ever abandon your base. What is the benign, innocent explanation for what Julie Kelly said there? Just left all those people behind. They were there for him. Their lives, their livelihoods, completely being wrecked as we speak. What is the benign, innocent explanation for abandoning them? For not paying for their defense? Looks to me like Mr. Trump has forgotten the order of things. That he has this depth of loyalty from people like you. And this depth of support from people like you 
because he supports you, not the other way around. Donald Trump can't do a damn thing for you and I right now on a lot of these things. He can certainly do a lot for those folks that need legal representation, that are being treated worse than we treat. The only, this is, why don't we just go full Abu Ghraib while we're at it? This is how we treated Islamists at, at Guantanamo, at Gitmo. These are friggin' Americans, man. And what's their crime? They wanted to make sure that the election was legit. Only person murdered were his support was one of his supporters. Now he has come out and, and talked about Ashley Babbitt. Thank you. But what's the benign, innocent explanation for Trump supporters being left behind in prison indefinitely with piss poor legal representation, given the billions Trump is worth and the unbelievable amounts of money folks like this, like you and this audience have donated to him and his political operation? The floor is open. Gentlemen, what is the benign, innocent explanation for this? It's all yours. Go ahead. That's what I thought. There isn't one. No heroes, no leaders. Just trust ourselves. Everybody's one decision away from, yeah, you're not the guy anymore. Because with, when, when, when beef goes to $10 a pound and gas goes to 5 bucks a pound, we're not going to have the Mar-a-Lago to retreat to. We're going to be the ones paying those bills. So what is the benign, innocent explanation for leaving your own base behind? Pardon the pun, but frankly, it's deplorable. You don't ever abandon your base. Ever. But hey, we got time. Trump's got time to show up at uh, pride events for the RNC. Who doesn't do a damn thing for him or his or, or his people. He's got, he's got time to, to yuck it up with Kevin McCarthy. Who also doesn't do a damn thing for his people. Doesn't have time, though, to help those folks stranded in jail right now. That Julie Kelly has been out there, largely on her own, defending and raising money for for the last 10 months. What is the benign, innocent explanation for that? There isn't one. There isn't one. There isn't one. Trump was a far better president than I ever thought he was going to be before COVID. After COVID, he made several of the worst decisions in the history of the U.S. presidency. All that being said, because of what he had done beforehand. It felt like much of last year, I was working harder to try to get him reelected than he was. He undermined efforts to reopen the country, criticized them. He elevated his Anthony Fauci to the potentate status he still deserves, still enjoys, handing essentially his presidency over to him for months on end. 
You were talking about the FBI now raiding Project Veritas' offices and homes. Who's the head of the FBI? Christopher Ray, Mr. Antifa is not real, but an idea. Remember when he testified to yes. that in Congress last year? Antifa is just an idea. Who appointed Christopher Ray head of the FBI? Donald Trump did. As his replacement for Jim Comey, whom he fired after he originally retained him. He then appointed Christopher Ray on the recommendation of Chris Christie. Why? Because Christopher Ray had helped Chris Christie navigate Bridgegate. You know, the same Chris Christie that Trump is now out there today lambasting because Christie is lambasting him. We are all sitting here waiting for Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett to betray us again, Trump's Supreme Court justice nominees. Now, I'm inclined to actually not blame him for those. Because there was a federal legal scam going on within the conservative, fake conservative movement long before Donald Trump showed up. And all he did was just go to those people and say, hey, I will appoint the justices you want. And we all wanted Amy Coney Barrett. We all thought she was going to be great, right? We all celebrated sure. that last year. So I don't blame him for that at all. That's a systemic problem that existed long before Trump showed up. In fact, he did it. In fact, if they betray us, he did us a favor by exposing it. He did us a favor by actually just going off their lists and appointing the people that the that the Con Inc. said they wanted. And so, if, if it doesn't work, he helped us blow that lie up. So, I look at it this way: we win either way. If Trump's appointed justices have our back, then we get a great ruling. If not, then it exposes the scam of this once and for all, and we can move on and do what's right and what should have done ten years ago. So, I'm totally okay with that. I agree. But on this stuff, repeatedly, his appointments, far more often than not, sucked. And we're still under their boot right now. The FBI is the Gestapo of the Democratic Party. He appointed the head of it. But let me tell you what a real danger sign is. Leaving your people behind. Having asking those people in the dead of January to come and support you, leave their homes, their jobs from all over the country. And then when they do, you abandon them. That's beyond not a good look. That's a cardinal sin of politics. That's what happens when you've had Lindsey Graham down at the Mar-a-Lago way too often. That's what happens when you start believing your own feces doesn't stink. That's what happens when you think it's about you. See, this is actually when I was on the Cruz campaign, this is who we thought the Trump that Trump was. What blew us away is that he actually really sincerely seemed to love his base. And he wasn't just using you. I thought he was. What blew me away from day one when he got into the White House is he actually loved his base, served his base. This is more in line of what I thought originally five years ago. This is a bad look. And it's inexcusable. It is deplorable is what it is. It's Clintonian, frankly. 
to just use people to your own benefit and then leave them behind. Well, it's not fair. It's not Clintonian. Like these people are still alive, right? They haven't suicided themselves. So, I mean, that's, that's going too far. I take that one back. But there's nothing MAGA about leaving these people behind. It's a bad look. It's a bad sign of where this is going in the future. Where's he been on all these vaccine mandates? He finally said something about forcing it on the kids. Finally, just the other day. Good. But where's he been on all these vaccine mandates? Where are all the election integrity lawsuits? I think they stole the election. But then leaving your own people behind to rot in jail cells? With public defenders who come from the American Bar Association who hate you and them? What's the, how do you, what's the spin on that? I look forward to, I actually do. I look forward to seeing how some of you will attempt in my email today to spin this. Because it'll just tell me, dude, you're in a cult. No, there's no spin of this. This is a bad look, and it's inexcusable. And him and his operation should probably hear from people like you about it. Because he's only politically relevant because of people like you. And he needs you more than you need him. I think maybe he needs to be reminded of the order of things. Bill Barr did it again for the seventh time. Now, I can confirm that the new pumpkin puff from Bill Barr is legit. I was skeptical on the seventh round it was going to come through, but lo and behold, it did. So I guess we'll you know find out tomorrow or maybe even later today whether round eight comes through or not for the greatest protein bar of all time. You seem like you were a little skeptical that round seven was going to come through there, Todd. But I trusted that you are the relentless man of science that you are, and we'd yes. come find terra firma sooner or later. This Indeed. is a one-man randomized controlled trial. Indeed, and I have appointed myself that uh, RCT. You bet. All right? So if you want to give Bill Barr a shot, Coconut Brownie Chunk is back. One of its greatest flavors ever is back now as well as all the other great flavors they do all the time at Built Bar, all covered in real chocolate, loaded with flavor, loaded with protein, not loaded with calories, carbs, and sugar. You won't believe what the nutritional uh, value is on these things because they just shouldn't taste this good and be this good for you. Go to Built.com, B-U-I-L-T, for Built Bar. Built.com, use the promo code DACE to get 15% off at Built.com. Let's get to fake news or not. And we may have to retire this segment after this conversation because we may have found it. Right? I mean, I feel a little bit like uh, Elf when he goes into the diner. You did it! World's greatest coffee. I think we may have found it. You did it! The fakest news of all time. It is official. Russian collusion is the fakest news that ever faked Sean Davis is here from The Federalist. Good to see you again, Sean. How are you? Doing. Well, Sean, is it true? Is this the fakest news that's ever faked, like ever? Admittedly, it's a low bar. It is a low bar. There's been so much fake news. I feel like you're uh, 
you're throwing a screwball at me having to go back through and think about all the fakery that the fake news is faked. But I got to tell you, the Steele dossier, the thing that they used to illegally spy on their political appointees, the thing that they used to try and overthrow the election of a president they didn't like, uh, the whole thing was garbage. Everyone with a brain knew it was garbage from the beginning. Uh, but for years, they used it to try and take down Trump, to try and uh, destroy his voters, to try and take away their vote. And and we learned, like I said, we, you know, a lot of us knew it was fake from the beginning. But we now have a, a special counsel to the government, which, uh, if you recall, during the Mueller investigation, uh, special counsels are basically the saints of the legal world. Uh, nothing can be uh, said bad about them. They are they are completely perfect in all they do. And so we have a special counsel here who said, yeah, the, the dossier, uh, the guy who is behind it, total liar. Uh, he made everything up. Uh, and it turns out people who were feeding him lies were actually Hillary Clinton campaign surrogates. So somehow, somehow John Durham, the special counsel here, has revealed that the entire dossier operation was even dumber and faker than we uh, believed from the beginning, which is impressive. That, that's an accomplishment. This entire thing, basically, to uh, borrow a phrase from a popular TV show earlier this year, it was a Democratic op all along. That, that's, that's really what it was, just a Democratic op from the very beginning. Yeah, from the very beginning. It was funded by the Hillary Clinton campaign and the DNC. It was run by a bunch of uh, Democrat operatives. It was fed to a guy being paid by the Democrat operatives who was actually on a Russian oligarch's payroll at the same time, which is amazing. Christopher Steele, this amazing spy. So there was Russian collusion. They were just the ones doing it. Yeah, exactly. There was Russian collusion. (laughs) It was just coming inside of uh, Hillary's house in in Chappaqua. And, and, And on top of that, one of the main sources, which we didn't learn this until last week in reading that Durham indictment, one of the main sources, including the source of the uh, alleged P-tape thing, was a Democrat operative, a surrogate for Hillary Clinton's campaign, a former appointee at the State Department for Bill Clinton, who was behind a bunch of the lies in there. Like, if we had written this out back in 2016 or 2017, and we, we tried to write a novel about it, about a bunch of crooks who, who hijacked the entire government over nonsense, the editors would have looked at that book and said, really— you know, the collusion, Russian collusion is actually from that campaign. And and really, it was actually that lady's campaign that paid for it. And actually, it was one of her sur- uh, surrogates who was the right. source of all of it. An editor would be like, that's crazy. We can't put that in there. No one will believe that. That would never happen. And yet it did. Similar to last year when we, I, I said, that I made the same argument last year in the Flynn case. If I had written a novel and sent it to my literary agent, that the entire ruse was exposed because the FBI agents literally wrote down in writing, hey, here, let's screw this guy and here's how we're going to do it. And then they left the paper trail behind. My editor would be like, is this a sixth grade creative writing paper or a novel you expect to actually get published? And yet that happened too. We, this, we, this is really, you know, other great civilizations, maybe you can share my lament, Sean. Other great civilizations got Visigoths and Druids and Attila the Hun, and Genghis Khan, conquerors worthy of their ultimate demise. We're going down to complete and total idiots, brother. This is the Apple Dumpling Gang, all right? That's what we're up against here, and they're taking taking this once great civilization down. We deserve a better class of criminal here, Sean. Yeah, you know, uh, Europe and uh, and Asia, they had Alexander the Great, and we have... uh, Hillary Clinton and Christopher Steele. It's a little depressing. So where does this, where did, well, you know what? Let's backtrack here for a second. 
when this story first broke, people wondered why doesn't the White House just declassify the, the, the search warrants that go to the special court for this kind of observation? If they, and that was never done. If they had declassified those early on, Sean, can give us your legal expertise here. If they had declassified those things early on, would we have gotten to this truth sooner because we ultimately would have seen there's no there there? What is the basis for going to these FISA courts for these warrants? Would that have gotten us to this truth sooner? Well, we we eventually did get um, good chunks of the FISA warrants declassified. That's when we learned that they had used the Steele dossier okay. as a basis for spying on and Carter Page, you know, a bunch of stuff, and it was redacted. And at the time, even though we could read the dossier, we knew it was false. We could read the FISA documents. We knew that it was false. We still had the entire corporate media and all the Democrats, like Adam Schiff, the guy who is running the Inquisition against Trump, saying, no, 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 don't believe your lying eyes. Uh, yeah, it all happened. Those emperor's clothes are glorious. And don't you dare listen to anyone who says he's not wearing anything. The, the problem we've had here isn't just that we had a corrupt security state, the FBI and the CIA, running uh, operations against the people we actually elected to run the government. The, uh, a similar problem we had was a completely in the tank, corrupt, irredeemably broken media that decided to amplify lies as long as those lies hurt their enemies and to suppress facts as long as those facts supported narratives uh, from their enemies. And, and it's looking back in time, yeah, I wish we would have known all this stuff earlier. But at the same time, we've known a lot of this stuff for years now, and we still have the media lying about it. We had Adam Schiff going out on TV after he had read the Steele dossier, which is totally bogus into the congressional record saying, yeah, yeah, no, I'm actually still pretty sure the whole thing's true and that P-tape's real, and uh, yeah, I'm not going to let those other pas- pesky facts get in the way. And the entire media supported him. They even got Pulitzers for it. You know, the New York Times, the Washington Post, they published lies, straight up lies with no basis in reality, and they got Pulitzers. So I think we have a much, much bigger problem societally uh, right now than just uh, getting to see declassified documents earlier. We have a corrupt press that's in the tank and is doing everything it can to destroy the country in order to support their political friends. Completely agree with your analysis. I'm trying to come up with what peaceable machinations do we have to respond to that, right? Like when we have power, is there is there an ultimate form of disclosure we can practice in sunlight to try to come off the top rope? Because we're sitting in a situation right now where they they this op was largely successful and we're sitting here a full year following the demise of the president that they were they were they were imposing it upon and just now getting to, you know, some clarity on this. And some of the names of the people that are caught up in this are names that are not people that are known. We just saw Andrew McCabe was given his pension. I think that was returned about a month or so ago. And so what remedies do we have here? We're in, we're in a cultural civil war here of the Cold War variety. That's pretty clear, right? So then what can we do in response to that? That's that's what I'm trying to get at here. What Other than just sit around and, and wait to see what the next narrative they concoct is. It's a great question. I, I think we actually need leaders who are willing to use the power of the state to crack down on the nonsense from people who are trying to take away our rights and take away our ability to have a say in how our countries run. You know, everyone in the government who is part of this hoax, they need to be in prison. Agreed. Every single person. Yep. They need to be in prison. There were there were illegal likes, uh, uh, leaks. There were lies to Congress. Uh, we've had so far three people indicted uh, for this hoax. One of them falsified a FISA warrant. This is a guy 
in James Comey's FBI who straight up went and falsified a warrant to get one of his enemies spied on. He was convicted. He's a felon now. And the judge didn't give him any prison time. So everyone involved in this needs to go to prison and spend a really good long time there uh, to think about it. Because once you have these leakers, once you have these liars in the government going to prison for what they're doing, uh, I have a feeling those leaks and those lies and that whole nonsense is going to go away real quick. But so far, three people have been indicted. So I like what John Durham's doing. Uh, I think we need more of it and it needs to happen a little faster. But I think that's the solution now is there have to be real consequences for people who are using government power to try and destroy uh, the country and overturn elections they don't like. Very well said. Good to see you, brother. Thanks for joining us. Take care. God bless. Thank you. You bet. Sean Davis over at The Federalist. You know, you got 360 joints from your neck down each of your vertebrae in your back, all the way to your arms, hips, knees, feet, your extremities. A lot of entry and pressure points there for inflammation in the body to seep in and cause that achiness, that soreness, or that chronic pain that you just can't overcome and get rid of. That's why you want a great all-natural anti-inflammatory like Omega XL, backed by over 30 years of clinical research in the last couple of years of me using it on a daily basis. I can personally attest to its effectiveness, and if you want to give it a shot right now and And sometimes that just happens because we get older, even if we're not doing anything wrong, right? So give your body the boost, the anti-inflammatory boost it needs with Omega XL. And right now you can get buy one bottle and get a second one for free. When you go to OmegaXL.com slash Steve, visit OmegaXL.com slash Steve, or you can give them a call at 800-844-4888. The, the the conversation there with Sean Davis, and you and I were discussing this, Todd, during the break, Covington Catholic. There was a moment that happened yesterday in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial that I don't even know that, like, when you see these things happen on, like, Law and Order or a movie, that's actually not how trials work. You go through discovery processes and depositions. There's rarely some, um, you know... Uh, bombshell that no one saw coming. All right, that's what makes you know Johnny Cochran's. If you know if, if it doesn't fit, you must acquit because that's one of the rare opportunities organically for this kind of a moment to occur in a trial. It did yesterday in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, where one of the people that he shot admitted he pulled the gun on Rittenhouse first. Admitted this under oath, which is this is the very definition of self defense. All right, I mean over and over again these people. They're not good at this. I just think we're not very good at this. And, 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 and when I say we, I'm throwing myself in there. Because you made a great analogy to uh, you know, C.S. Lewis and his writings about moral courage in the burning building. Because it does tie to the conversation we just had last segment with Trump not backing up those January 6th detainees. I understand, man, you don't want to run into the burning building on January 6th or February 6th. It's November, past November 6th. This, this entire thing has been proven to be a farce and largely a setup by the FBI to create a situation of entrapment. It's totally clear to go in and defend those people now, right? Right. But, but over and over again, th- it, these people put forth narratives that then are debunked later on in some of the most incredible ways, like the star witness admitting he pulled the gun first FBI agents literally putting in writing with their own handwriting. Let's screw Mike Flynn. Um, I mean, what's gone on here with the, with the, with the situation with Russian collusion, what's the solution to this for us? Well, yeah, he's speaking my love language there at the end, uh, Sean Davis, when he's talking about 
uh, prison. The, 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 the reason they keep lying is because they know they can lie with impunity. It's, it's effective. Here's what we all are. The, uh, the left, the press, the, the so-called experts, the bureaucracy, uh, they're the uh, two gunmen uh, in that video we had from about a month ago. Uh, they come in late at night and the Marine's standing here. Mm-hmm. Except we never have that Marine. Those guys clearly were not oh, the Marine that whooped their ass for trying to rob oh, yeah. that liquor store yeah. or whatever it was. But yeah. those two, this is to your point about they're really not that good at this. They don't have to be yeah. because there's never a Marine there. Yeah. We need to Marine up. And when those clowns come in here, we need to kick their blank. That's it. Yeah. There's no other way. Yeah. Otherwise, your children are going to be taken away from you and the needle's going to be plunged into your arm and you're going to watch like the sissy you are. Which is why the solution to this, let's just be honest here, most likely... Barring getting somebody with a, a, the courage of conviction to do what I'll say next, um, it's probably the Second Amendment. If, if the D.C. cancer cannot be stopped, if the swamp can't be drained, uh, if you can't detox D.C., the only thing really, at the end of the day, uh, that's standing in between you and Project Veritas journalists and James O'Keefe getting raided, getting Mike Flynn, getting Park Carter paged, you know, whenever the target is on you, the only thing that's really standing in between you is not the court system, guys. It's gone. It's not one big misunderstanding. Let's just be honest about that. There's the reason why we have a Second Amendment. If we make it, though, to 2024, and if we get a Republican uh, president, whether that's Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump or somebody else, they have to have the courage of conviction by the end of Inauguration Day Generals, your resignations will be on my desk. Anybody they have the power to fire, be punitive about it. If you looked at anything other than a, uh, a, a furtive glance at somebody who's trying to screw over this country, you're, you're shown the door as well. And then once you get all those people out there, you prosecute the hell out of them. That's what it's going to take. Mm-hmm. I don't even think Ron DeSantis has that in him. I hope he does. I don't think he does because I don't think really anybody does. So, yet again, with this and every other story, the answer is us. Again. They're going to have to get their courage from us. Because we're going to lose our way of life unless we have the courage to demand the people who represent us demonstrate more of it. These people aren't badasses we're up against. They're not brilliant masterminds. Masterminds. They're just largely used to being unopposed. Yep. Okay. I mean, 80% of this is just showing up for the confrontation. Hour two here is next. We're back with hour two, live and on demand here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Steve Dace here with... Totters and Aaron McIntyre and all of you. Don't forget, you can email the show, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. You can also just go to MeWe Parlor Gab and Getter. Look for my name there and just uh, bypass all that other big tech censorship if you want. 
You can also do that by watching clips of the show, not at the other place, but at the good place, rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. Again, that is rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. And then finally, if you are a podcast listener, we are so very appreciative because you're one of the largest aspects of our audience here. If you have not had a chance to do so yet, please leave us a five-star review and hit subscribe or follow whatever uh, they offer wherever you like to podcast from. And we want to thank the multitude of you that have done those things for us already. We are appreciative of each and every one. Also appreciative of our friends over at Rough Greens, or at least my dog Cap is, because he absolutely loves this stuff. And by now, you know what Rough Greens is. We talk about it enough here on the show. It's the supplement powder you put in your pet's food. And with that one simple act, you have restored quite a bit of the vitamins, minerals, nutrients, you know, all the good stuff that is stripped out of your pet's food before it ever leaves the factory so that it lasts long for mass distribution. Same thing they do with the people food we eat these days. That's why we're taking so many supplements. And now with Rough Greens, you have one for your dog. But you might be wondering, how will I know if my dog will like it? Well, we will give you that first 14-day jumpstart bag to get you jumpstarted for free to find out. You'll pay for the shipping, but the bag is free So we both kind of go in on this. We both have uh, a claim and some skin in the game here to see if you don't see a difference in your pet in two weeks or less with our friends over at roughgreens.com. R-U-F-F is how they spell it. Roughgreens.com or give them a call 833-ROUGH-DOG. Again, that's 833-ROUGH-DOG. So let's get to Pop Culture Tuesday. And... Let's 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 kind of set the table here, and there. I'm, I'm just going to warn you: there is no way I can have this conversation by avoiding spoilers whatsoever. So, if if you are still planning on seeing the Eternals, and you don't want it spoiled, I guess I should have asked you guys that. I forgot. I just realized that. No, it sounds by all accounts, it sounds like I we're not really going to care if it's spoiled or not. Okay, you okay? If we, we, we I'm gonna, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and like break down the plot point by point. Okay, but there's just no way to have this broader conversation without without spoiling something. Okay, move okay? on. All right, okay. So, spoiler alert. All right, three, two, one. Okay. Let's before we get to this movie, let's sort of set the stage here. Of, of why this deserves beyond just, you know, it's fun stuff, but why it deserves to have a serious conversation in one of the, you know, the main segments of the show. Because has there been anything more influential? A combination of influential and successful in the last decade of American pop culture in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Can you think of anything else? No. There were things that pre-existed it, like, you know, the National Football League, right, or the music industry. There are things that pre-existed it that still maintain a, a lofty perch within pop culture of, um, of, of influence and success, right? But has anything within the last decade eclipsed it? No. No. Fair to say that it is this era's Star Wars, just as... There, there was filmmaking, there was mainstream blockbuster Hollywood filmmaking pre-Star Wars, and then there's been the process and the expectations and the business model post-Star Wars, right? Right. So since, since Star Wars, so now we're going back to what? 1977. 
So since the, the Star Wars era in 1977 changed the expectations of, of pop culture, um, uh, you know, consumers and moviegoers for the next generation, the Marvel Cinematic Universe has done this for this one, Correct. right? Now everybody wants to have a shared universe and, uh, you know, coordinated characters and long, drawn-out, you know, narratives of, of meta storylines to follow, right? Okay. So, I mean, this is not an insignificant chapter in American pop culture history. I mean, it is, it's one of the most significant chapters. If we were doing, if, if you were doing, you know, 100 years of cinema, so what was it? Al Jolson's The Jazz Singer, like 1928, I think it was the first talkie, somewhere around there. So yeah, about 100 years of modern cinema. Sure. Okay. This, and, and everything gets its own, Gone with the Wind gets a chapter. Technicolor and its, and its first usage in um, Wizard of Oz. Okay. Um, the, the, the universal horror films that were so popular in the 1930s with Bela Lugosa, Boris Karloff, uh, the sand and sandal epics, you know, the biblical epics like Ben-Hur and those sorts of things in the 40s and, and 50s, okay? These things would all get a unique chapter, right? Right. Would the Marvel Cinematic Universe get its own chapter? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's in the discussion for one, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a benchmark, no, no doubt about it. So when it either goes off the rails or or sticks the landing— or maybe signals it might go off the rails. That's a story. Sure. Right? Yeah. And didn't we all, as I recall, we all sort of after Endgame feared that might happen. Yep. Given the direction of pop culture in general, right? And it's really hard to surpass or yes. follow that up. Yes. And Kevin Feige, who's the he's the sensei of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and did a did a masterful job overseeing that narrative for for a decade. But I think we all feared when they said they were going to tell their own stories now and they're going to have more representation that we were all just kind of fearful of where it may go. And then if if it did go off the rails, we were okay with it because this was a satisfying end and they can't ever take that away from us. And we can always just go back and relive those moments all over again, right? Sure. I mean, Jar Jar Binks doesn't make you think Empire Strikes Back is any less brilliant of a film, does it? No. No. I mean... Whatever that was with the rise of Skywalker doesn't take away any more of the satisfaction of watching Luke kick Darth Vader's ass in Return of the Jedi when we were kids, right? Right. Those moments cannot be taken away, okay? When we get to the Eternals, now, now Feige said before the movie's release that this would really be a Rosetta Stone moment for what the future of the MCU is going to look like. Uh oh. I I I spent almost three hours because the the best scene in this film is there's two after there's two post credit scenes. And it's the final one is the best scene in this film. So I mean you got it's a long movie, and yet it still feels rushed because you don't know and I was a comic book guy as a kid, as a lot of you know. I was actually one of the few people who thought Guardians of the Galaxy would be a big time hit because I knew them from the comics. Remember, you were asking me at the time, who are these guys, right? I don't know anything about the Eternals. 
Okay. I mean, I, I don't know and anything you still about it. I still don't. That's the problem. Yeah. I, I, I never, I didn't even know they existed reading Marvel comics as a kid. They were, you know, the Eternals characters weren't on Spider-Man and his amazing friends or the, or the great 1990s Spider-Man show when I was a kid. So I don't know anything about him beyond what's in this movie. I, therefore, I don't know if the story they chose is derivative of the source material. And I think that's key to know because I think it probably tells you, would, would actually tell us what they're trying to say here. Because there's parts of this story that I felt like this was they were trying to golden compass me. Do you guys know what the books the the golden compass books are? Yes, never saw the yeah. film, but yeah, uh, they're they're yes, they're literally satanic books. I mean, literally. I'm that I'm not. That's not like you know hyperbole or my um, description. The the author of them admits they are. He admits that he's a defrocked Catholic, and that the devil is the hero of the story for that. There's a reason why God is depicted in these, in this story, in these storylines as impotent, the, you know, the impotent grandfather in the sky and that the enemy is right, was right for trying to free us of his rule. He admits this openly. I think that's one of the reasons why those books and films didn't take off here in the States like they did in Europe, because, you know, we will lament the lack of influence the church in America has now compared to every other previous era of America. But if, if you went to Western Europe, they would think, by comparison, we are like some sort of Bible Belt theocracy, right? Mm-hmm. Given what the state of the church is in those countries. So they're ripe for a storyline like this. So I, I couldn't tell when, I, it, is it Aruma or Arushima? So here's the storyline, all right? The storyline is they try to use this movie to tell the Marvel's Marvel Genesis story, Marvel creation story. And, and so there are these beings called the celestials. I know what those are from the comics and, and you've seen a couple of celestials. If you've watched and if you've watched the guardians of the galaxy movie, for example, uh, star Lord's dad was a celestial played by Kurt Russell. Okay. So these celestials are the most powerful, physical beings in the Marvel universe. They, they basically guide uh, creation and evolution. And they operate on these mass, on these billions of year life cycles. And so every couple billion years, a new celestial has to be hatched or born. And they're hatched out of planets. Planets are like eggs. All right, and so they're hatched out of planets and they need a planet, and, and so they feed off of the life force of that planet, which means they need that planet to rapidly reproduce and technologically evolve so that the life force within that planet, that, which is an incubator, okay, it's, it's basically a uterus for a child, so that that then becomes strong enough to launch this celestial's birth. Now... When, this, when a celestial is born, he will then go and create new suns. He will expand the universe and create new suns, which will then therefore create billions of more planets that can handle life. So they, they, they expand life in the universe. The price of that, though, is the particular planet that they are hatched out of blows up and loses all of its life. All right. So basically, it's, you know, Malthusian ethics. We... However, a couple billion uh, planet you know, lives are on this planet for, you know, tens of billions of lives throughout the rest of the universe that will now be allowed to exist. 
That's kind of the ecosystem that they operate off of, right? They have created these beings that are basically angels. That, that cannot think for themselves. They don't have a free will per se. Uh, they have to do the absolute bidding of the celestials. And Arishim, I believe, is the head celestial. He's basically the Jehovah, the judge, okay? And um, they create these beings that are called the Eternals. And they operate as the messengers of the celestials. They carry out their will. They, they're heralds. And they make sure that civilizations on each of these planets reach their evolutionary apex so that the so the planets where the celestials are the celestials are eggs are at basically so they're not on every planet they're just on the planets where celestials are and it turns out that earth happens to be one of them and their job is on these select planets that are marked for birthing the next era of celestials to guide this the 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 species the intelligent species on these planets to a point that they will then reach in apex status, evolutionary-wise, so that that would power the birth of this new celestial. And Earth is one of them. The angels, or eternals, on Earth end up rebelling. Because they've been here for so long, and they actually see special status or possibilities with humankind. And one of the reasons that they, one of the, and the final reason that they decide to do that is because Earth was what defeated Thanos and brought the, that brought, restored the half of life in the universe that Thanos took away. And Thanos is, is a, is what's called a deviant, which is like the villains of the, of the Eternals. They, they actually want to stop this process. Okay. And, um, and so since, since they see that, it was humankind that evolved to create like super beings and uh, was able to, was the species that ended up saving the universe. They should be exempted from this. So see, right away now I'm confused because the story start, what I started telling you originally sounded like a golden compass kind of story, right? Arushima or whatever, whatever the guy's name is, who's the head celestial is a vengeful God. And he's just following a rote process. And the angels that rebel against him are the heroes, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. This this sounds very Luciferian, right? Mm -hmm. But then it flips the, flips it on, flips it on its side and says that the reason they did it is because of the specialness of humanity, that they indicated they are a unique force or special in the, in the creation. Well, that's a very Imago Day sort of a story, right? And this tension exists all the way through this storyline. Which is why I don't know what it was about. I don't know what it was trying to say. And in fact, just when, just when I, okay, they are trying to golden compass me right at the end. One of them quotes Jesus and says, and you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And I mean, my, so philosophically, my head is on a swivel this entire time. Here's the problem with this. If you're trying to make a movie that is supposed to like set your philosophical reasoning for existing, you kind of have to pick a side here. You're all, this thing is all over the place. And I know it's been accused of being woke because there's a, there's somebody who's deaf, there's somebody who's gay. And I got to tell you. I'm straight as an arrow. I made it all the way through Bohemian Rhapsody. It is a fan, which is a fantastic movie. It was on my top 10 list for that year. All right. 
I'm not a huge fan of watching dudes kiss or make out by any stretch of the imagination. So I was like the guy in the theater, like covering my eyes because it grosses me out. There is a gay kiss in this film that I mean, I'm, I'm just telling you, there's a reason why probably there's a reason why glad is not congratulating Marvel on this pioneering gay. It is cringy, cringy. Okay. Like if you ever wanted to make sure your kids aren't gay, show them this gay kiss. All right. I'm not sure what the gay version is of scaring your kids straight. Like you, I always just tell you if what's that uh, Ricky Lake natural birth video. Yes. Show that to every high school kid in America. It's the best abstinence program there is. Right. So I don't know what the, I don't know what the gay abstinence program we need to show in schools is, but it should include this kiss. It is. I fact. Right I, after Lindsey Graham. Yeah. <laughs> I spontaneously combusted. Like I, I laughed out loud. Like the theater's like almost totally full at this moment. I burst out laughing. I and it was it was not at a tour. I couldn't. It was it was organic. It was spontaneous. It was so contrived and cringe. Okay, I didn't know how else to respond other than to just to laugh out loud at how bad it was. But there's the reason why there's a reason why somebody's gay, somebody's deaf, somebody's white, somebody's eternally young. It's because they represent they're the shepherds of this of the species on every world. And so these are the representations of of other somebody Asian. OK, somebody Hispanic. They're, they're, these are the representations of the various humanoid species on the earth. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. OK, so it, it, it could be that it could be they were trying to make woke points. I, I don't know. I don't know a lot. Uh, Kit Harrington, who plays the Black Knight, Dane Whitman, who I do know is a, he's, he's a major character in the Marvel comics. He's been an Avenger. He's he was in he's the he's the guy that uh, plays Jon Snow in um, Game of Thrones. He was in all the trailers. Right. He's in this movie for about ten minutes, and then he's in the very last scene, which is the best scene of the film that has nothing to do with the film. It's actually launching him. This thing was just all over the place, guys. And there have been Marvel films that were not great. Like the second Ant-Man film is not great. Okay? But can you think of a Marvel film that you were like, what was the point of that? Like that didn't advance any narrative or any story. What did we do here? I can't think of one. I cannot think of one. This movie does that it does nothing i don't know what it's about i don't know what it was meant to do if i had to guess what will happen so the movie ends with the the eternals um who have a civil war amongst themselves some actually don't want to uh, disobey the the head celestial and then so they have a civil war amongst themselves and the ones who the ones who want to rebel are are who win and they, they successfully stopped the hatching of this celestial out of the earth. Okay. And, and so Rushima, or whatever the guy's name is, the judge calls them back. This is how the movie ends. He calls them to be judged. If I had to guess, this movie is how we will get Galactus, probably the, 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 the most terrible Marvel villain until they created Thanos in the 80s. He's the, he's the destroyer, the eater of worlds. My guess is Galactus will either be who this will be a celestial that they dispatch to, to devour the earth to judge it for its rebellion or something along those lines. But I don't know, man. I'm guessing. 
I don't know what the point of this film was. If it wanted, it's, it was well over two and a half hours. I still felt it was rushed. I didn't care about any of these characters at all. I, I just, I'm, I will say this. If this is the seminal tentpole film of phase four, and Feige has said it is, I'm actually more concerned than if they had actually gone full woke but done it well. You know what I'm saying? Because this thing is a mind scrambler. I mean, it it just, it, it doesn't do anything. It's very flat while taking itself very seriously the entire time. All right, I'm going to stop now. You guys have any thoughts, questions, comments, or insults? Um, you know, I'm the fact that this comes after we watched um, Loki, mm-hmm. and Loki's obviously has something to say also about a creation story there at the end with Con- what's his Kang name? Kang the Conqueror. Kang the Conqueror. So there's the three great villains. They're really the four greatest villains ever in the Marvel universe are Kang the Conqueror. Galactus, Thanos, and Doctor Doom. Those are the four Avengers levels threat, okay, when, when they emerge. So But there he was talking multiple multiple Kangs and there was the Apple and the mm-hmm. whole garden of Eden. I mean mm-hmm. I, obviously he he wants to go big on that level. And actually I'm kind of comforted that this is just bad. Because that's the best chance that this goes away and it returns to greatness ultimately or just goes away and we just have what we we have, as you already said, Steve. Because this is, they're trying to reinvent the wheel. Um, it'd be far more interesting if they wove actual creation story uh, into this and paid homage to that because um, that's where all the great heroism comes from. From the greatest story ever told, anyways. Um, I, I hope it's just continues to be bad and go because our greater danger, Steve, is like it is like Star Wars, actually, like with Boba Fett and stuff like that, actually being good again. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, p- purging real life decent human beings, like uh, we saw with um, Gina Carano. Gina Carano. Mm-hmm. That's the way more dangerous thing. I mean, really, it's uh, uh, Star Wars continuing to stuck would be a healthy thing. I saw thing. the other day one of her former Mandalorian co-stars reached out to her on Twitter. Did you see that? No. Uh, it's the Esposito guy who plays the main, the moth, the main villain. Oh, oh yeah. 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 He reached he out to her on Twitter. And, uh, Breaking Bad. Yeah. He's a really good actor, by the way. Yeah. But yeah, I saw he reached out to her. They were communicating on Twitter last week, I saw. So maybe we're breaking the fourth seal on that one. Go ahead, Aaron. So, I, you know... Th- Vastly different films, vastly different eras. The Incredible Hulk movie, that was kind of prior to... That that was made prior to kind of the main uh, arch of uh, uh, of the MCU, if I'm not mistaken. That's widely derided as probably the worst Marvel film. I don't think it was ever heralded as some sort of tentpole, but it was a dud, as far as I'm aware. I'm hoping that this is just... A dud. We know Kevin Feige can tell, and and his team can tell stories very well. Uh, I I wonder though if their takeaway from this will be, however, uh, people 
are not buying whatever story we were trying to tell here. That That's not, or maybe the t- story we were trying to tell or trying to tell now is not, uh, is not really on the right direction. I have confidence in his ability to craft a narrative, to craft an overall plot in this world, because he's shown he can do it <laughs> over the course of over a dozen films in the previous phase. I'm hoping, though, that this will maybe send a message that uh, whatever you're going for here needs to be fleshed out just a little bit more. Did it get to, was there any sense that, hey, there are some cliffhangers here, there's some uh, dangling participles, some hanging chads that maybe another movie I thought, I, I thought they could do another movie with these characters if they wanted to. I think they also could just let this one be a standalone and incorporate some well, of these things into good, other storylines at the same time. That's probably a good thing, then. That's probably a good thing, though, if you can just let this Like, I don't see without, franchise see, material if that's what you're asking yeah, me. Yeah. Here's yeah. one thing. If, if their whole point there is to bring civilization to a strong enough life force to give birth to the celestial, mm-hmm. how do they explain not intervening when the— Planet See, almost dies I was going to get there. Yes, and they tell you it's because the well, they, that the celestials do not allow them to interfere with anything involving Earth Earth's matters unless the deviants try to stop human evolution, because they say that the the celestials actually like warfare and things of that nature because that always produces the greatest technological advancements in every civilization, right? Mm-hmm. But and so you buy that until you get to the point you just made. So they need they need these planets teeming at maximum life force to birth more celestials, and they just want them to just do nothing while Thanos takes half of the life force from the universe away from every single planet. And Ultron what sense was, does that make? Ultron and, and, was dropping a yes, a, a, yes, a man-made. Um, yeah, Ultron com- was trying to essentially uh, animatronic an entire planet of Earth yeah. that was a, was was supposed to be a birth egg for a celestial. What sense? That, again, the con, there's a massive continuity error there. I totally agree. So there, this is the franchise that doesn't make continuity errors, and these are two pretty big ones, which is what makes people suspicious. They just wanted to put out a woke story and and didn't do their homework and were sloppy, right? Right. So to be continued, I guess is maybe what I would say. Hey, did you know even an okay credit score can cost you up to a hundred grand in the life of a 30 year home loan? That's why if you're taking advantage of the uh, still very historically low interest rates right now for a mortgage or a refi, make sure you go to ScoreMaster before you apply because it can help you take your credit score from okay to good and good to great fast, which can make a big difference, not just in getting approvals, but in getting the terms and conditions you want. I used ScoreMaster to in, in advance of our own refi and ended up with an obscenely low interest rate with their help. So I'm very grateful. If you want to give ScoreMaster a shot as well, you know, the average ScoreMaster user can raise their credit score about 60 points in, in, in about three weeks or less, maybe even more. All right. Find out where you stand. Find out the, the exact reasons why you have the score you have and then precisely how to get to the score you want when you visit scoremaster.com slash Steve to get started today. Again, that is scoremaster.com slash Steve. Don't let the banks tell you what your information is. Don't let the lenders tell you what your information is. Know what your information is before you go to them. You should have it anyway. It is your information, all right? scoremaster.com slash Steve. Any final thoughts on this before we move on? I won't be seeing it. 
I've taught you. I've, that was not my intent, but I just talked you completely out of seeing it. Yeah. Like, I don't think you have to see the film. I don't. Without even knowing what's coming next in the MCU, I, I don't think you have to see the movie but, at all. Yeah, I'm just done with all of this. I mean, I'm done. I'm not watching any Star Wars. You can't do that to real life human people, uh, human beings, and have me watch that. I'm not going to watch this if it's um, ultimately, I mean, may, is this this indirect way of just pointing out the incoherence of what it views as creation stories? It's all fables, and you're, you know, you may think this is weird, but how about what you guys believe? I don't mean. It's just, it's just amateur hour. Yeah, I don't, I don't want any part of it. I, I do think a key missing piece of evidence here is how derivative of the, is of this of the actual source material. Okay, because if it, if this is a storyline that's the direct origin story from the comics, you know, then I'm not sure there's sinister motives to necessarily prescribe. All right, but if if not, then. There's far more sinister motives to probably prescribe. <laughs> All right, we'll come back more in a moment. You know, with winter just about here, the cooler weather arriving with the fall, those excuses, oh, I was running late. That's why I showed up for the job interview, the first date, all sweaty, right? Uh, we're kind of running out of those. So it might just really be, well, you're sweaty. Uh, and there are times that you don't want that, you know, like, for example, when you're doing a speaking engagement in front of hundreds or thousands of people. Not that I have any experience with that. I do. All right. So that's why you want to talk to our friends over at Sweatblock. Check in on their antiperspirant wipes. They are stronger and more effective than the most clinical antiperspirants out there. You simply apply it. To your pits before bedtime, go to bed. Next morning, you wake up, do your thing. You're good to go for several days, all right? They've also got a lot of other great products there at sweatblock.com as well. They have their own deodorant. I've tried it. It's fantastic. They've got uh, deodorant lotions for men and women that help you with some of those more intimate region, regions that can get a little swampy as well. If you want to get 20% off when you go to sweatblock.com, you can if you use the promo code DACE, D-E-A-C-E, promo code DACE, when you go to sweatblock.com. Get 20% off with the promo code DACE when you go to sweatblock.com. We've got Rachel Boulevard with us because she has written a piece over at The Federalist that is 10,000% true. And that this is to, again, we'll continue with the sweat analogies here. It is the degree all-in moment (laughs) for the conservative legal movement. uh, And that is what happens with these two abortion cases before the U.S. Supreme Court with three Trump appointees to go along the lines of Alito and Clarence Thomas. And so, Rachel, first of all, welcome to the show. It's good to have you back. How are you? Good to be here. Thanks for having me. So you basically wrote, hey, if they don't deliver, write this entire thing off. I completely agree. But tell us why you think that. So it kind of comes back to what the conservative legal movement is about. Uh, You know, if you remember post Roe v. Wade, this movement developed largely sort of formed and shepherded by the Federalist Society to ground conservative jurists in the Constitution, in limited government, you know, in what the Supreme Court and judicial review is supposed to mean. And, you know, what we're seeing now when we confirm a Supreme Court justice, they sort of come through this pipeline of this Federalist Society coronation where everyone's told, this is our person, don't ask questions, we've trained them, they're the right person, just press go. And that's what we've done. 
But now we're seeing very troubling indications from Justices Kavanaugh and Justice Barrett uh, that they may go the wrong way on Dobbs, which is the seminal abortion case that's coming up before the court. Oral arguments are on December 1st. You know, they've been squishy on religious liberty. They've, you know, turned down, they've sided with the court's liberal majority on some religious liberty vaccine cases. Um, They've asked some, you know, somewhat disturbing questions during the oral arguments over the Texas abortion law case. So my thesis is, look, if they go bad on Dobbs, and that is if the conservative legal movement has not produced justices who are comfortable overturning blatantly unconstitutional decisions, and by that I'm talking about Roe v. Wade and Casey v., uh, Planned Parenthood v. Casey, if we form justices that are not capable and comfortable with overturning unconstitutional law, mm-hmm. then what are we even doing here? Mm-hmm. Let's We have to scrap it and start over. We've done it wrong. That's why I'm anxious for this moment, because I've been a critic of the so-called conservative legal movement most of my career. I think it is um, it, 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 it begins from a flawed premise of buying into judicial supremacy to begin with. Yeah. Um, and and it, it buys into the, the metamorphosizing of stare decisis to be about the preponderance of precedent to whatever some judge secretes from his bowels uh, on that day is now the universal law of the world, no matter what, no matter what lack of fact, finding a fact or constitutional basis for it there is. And we must all obey. You know, I used to ask questions all the time on my show, like, if a judge decrees, we you have to give your daughters gender reassignment surgery. Do, do we just, you know, are there pieces in National Review the next day? David French writes a new piece. Hey, we got to do what the judges say. We don't want to be lawless here, right? I mean, so I mean, what's the plumb line, basically? And to me, I think this is going to be very revealing because either they will come through and this is the culminating moment of this, of this vestige of our movement. And they come through to finally to finally tackle uh, Casey, as you said, and consider the fact, by the way, Casey was 30 years ago. And that's the last time we questioned the validity of Roe in federal court was 30 years ago. Okay, so either they 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 go back and undo the damage that was done with Sandra Day O'Connor and others with Casey and, and take down Roe as a as a result. Or they reveal that this entire thing is a canard at best scam at worst. Either way, to me, it's a win. Now, I'd prefer they ruled the right way, obviously. But if my consolation prize is once and for all, we can get off this train to nowhere, I'll take that too. Well, an element, I think, of what you're talking about that I tried to touch on in the essay, because I think you're completely right, that we are sort of ruled as as a self-government. We have somehow ended up being ruled, you know, by these unelected jurists um, who, who define how we all live together. But a part of that has been intentional, and it has been intentional on the part of Congress to say, we don't want to solve these problems. We would rather have the courts do it for mm-hmm. us because we don't want to be accountable for it. Mm-hmm. And that has been a very dedicated and explicit shift from Congress, almost a choice that Mitch McConnell made when he said, hey, I'm not going to use the Senate majority to try to legislate. I'm just going to confirm judges very explicitly saying we expect them to make the decisions that we don't want to make. And you saw this with um, Clayton or Bostock v. Clayton County, which is the case where Justice Neil Gorsuch, again, appointed by Donald Trump, wrote the majority opinion that read sex and gender identity into the Civil Rights Act, a total humongous shift in the law that left a lot of us scratching our heads saying, where did he come up with this? It was bizarrely textualist. Mm-hmm. 
the appropriate response in you know our three branches of government would be for conservatives in Congress to to stand up and say no we are not letting this stand and to you know push and agitate for laws that overturned that instead you got a collective shrug from Republicans in the Senate you only had three Republican senators come to the floor of the Senate and and argue that this was a po- a poor decision and that was Senator Josh Hawley, Senator Mike Lee, and Senator James Langford. Langford. Everybody else considered Deb Fisher from Nebraska was asked about it, and she said, oh, well, I guess they've, you know, that's what the courts decided. So all of this emphasis has been put on the Supreme Court, and that has been a decision by Congress. And my broader point is, yes, you know, we need to rethink the conservative legal movement if they can't do what we want. But the second issue is, if we are now making them the arbiters of our, of our self-government, we better start vetting these people yeah. like the actual politicians that they are because we're expecting them to make clear political choices. When you look at the three judges we got out of the Trump era, and I have no problem being critical of Trump. I, you know, We played the clip earlier today of uh, from Tucker Carlson's show on Fox Nation uh, with Julie Kelly at American Greatness pointing out that they've done nothing to provide legal representation to these indefinite January 6th detainees, for, for example. But in this case, I don't blame him because he actually did what we've wanted a Republican president to do forever, which is literally just pick the judges right off the list that our movement gives him. Right. He did that. Right. OK. He did. So here's what we got. OK. We got to me. I, I understand Neil Gorsuch's plumb line. I, I just see a guy, a guy who's just kind of a hardcore libertarian. All right. That's that's why he's, you know, really devoted to the she- on the Chevron doctrine. And there were like no cases on the life issue in his entire uh, you know, uh, pre-career as a federal jurist, maybe the only federal judge you could ever find who had never done anything on the life issue. It's a very libertarian inkling. It's why he's good on religious liberty, but then he turned around and did what you just said. It's sort of this libertarian nirvana that we can have gender madness and religious liberty, and these things can all accommodate themselves. Uh, I'm not surprised by Brett Kavanaugh. I thought he was Karl Rove in a in a in a black robe from the very beginning. Uh, they just tried to smear him. And so that's the only reason I defended his nomination. I thought there was a higher principle there. Amy Coney Barrett, though, this is the one we all wanted instead of Brett Kavanaugh three years ago. Uh, a year ago at this time, we thought it was a bold stroke to go ahead and nominate her and get her confirmed even before the election uh, as, and as the former clerk to Antonin Scalia and that this might be the permanent tipping point for the courts. I, I, I'm, I got I'm not old enough to remember the whole David Souter thing after what happened with, um, you know, um, the, the borking of Robert Bork. I, I, it's rare to get blindsided in politics, Rachel. This one's been a blindside. She's been beyond a disappointment. Like I like this is chameleon esque. I, I feel like we have been deceived. Is that too strong? No, because I think it's how we're all feeling right now. I mean, you 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 have conservatives that have been watching her having a chill go down their spine, you know, saying this is not at all what we expected. And I think it goes back to the vetting question, because we we sort of on the right, we vet for these, you know, broad judicial philosophies, broad, you know, con- conservative legal philosophies. But we never ask the tough questions. Right. Because we say, oh, we want the judges to decide on the merits of the law. Well, that's true. But we can no longer be in this situation where we've put all our eggs in the basket of the court, but we're doing nothing to actually determine if these people have the specific, you know, sort of disposition or jurisprudence to take to take on these very difficult questions. And I wonder, too, if, you know, Barrett is being influenced by it seems to be this attitude from the chief justice, John Roberts, who I think 
all conservatives would say has been a disappointment, to protect what he thinks is the political integrity of the court, something that should never factor in, in my mind, to a decision that the court makes. But he reportedly exerts a very strong influence over these justices to say, well, you know, we have to protect the integrity of the court. We don't want the court to wade into these cultural issues, you know, saying rightly that Congress should decide, but Congress doesn't. And to the point where when he's presented with actual matters of law, he sometimes appears to choose politics over the law. Mm -hmm. And I do wonder if that's, you know, influencing some of these newer justices, but that's not why we put them there. We put them there for their courage. We put them there for their backbone. We put them there to follow Justice Clarence Thomas on a lot of these cases, because I would say he is currently the greatest serving Supreme Court justice in my mind. So final thing here, Rachel, let's game theory out the two options here and then the aftermath. So the first option is after letting both Mississippi and Texas, um, those laws stand and go into effect, they, that was clearly a signal that this will be some form of a Hobby Lobby victory. And it was a jagged road to get there. But in the end, we, 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 we got into the end zone. The conservative legal movement can't say it was perfect, but it fulfilled its ultimate calling and the ultimate shibboleth of the damned, Roe v. Wade, has been toppled. The aftermath of that one seems pretty obvious what the aftermath on our side is. What's the aftermath, though? How does this play itself out? If after letting those two laws become stay at intact, they then turn around and rule against them, all right? So you and I both agree this is a that would be a complete and total discrediting of the so-called conservative legal movement. But then what happens after that occurs? I think you know that's what we're all trying to figure out because you know we have institutions in Washington built around this movement. We have an entire you know pipeline of judges that come forward out of this movement. And I personally think that that has to completely be dismantled. Mm-hmm. I mean, there needs to be a come to Jesus moment where we say, this can no longer, you know, take place. The vetting and selection process has to be, the doors have to be thrown wide open to that. You know, I think you have to have senators begin to start asserting themselves in the confirmation process, because right now the expectation of senators is, particularly on Republican side, if you get a Supreme Court justice from a Republican president, you rubber stamp that nominee, you don't ask the tough questions. And you've seen when some senators do try to assert themselves, we saw this a year or two ago when Josh Hawley questioned uh, Naomi Rao, who was Mm -hmm. now on the D.C. Circuit, he questioned her aggressively on her pro-life bona fides, where she stood on these issues. The Wall Street Journal editorial board editorialized against him not once, not twice, but three times for having the gall, allegedly, to question a judge, uh, you know, potential Supreme, you know, if the D.C. Circuit's a, a feeder, right, to the Supreme Court. That's the type of stuff that we need to see more often, in my mind, especially if they go the wrong way on Dobbs. Those senators are really the only thing standing in the way of us confirming somebody else that goes the wrong way. So I think the whole movement will have to be upended and rethought. But we've got to get a lot more specific in our questioning. And we got to be putting battle-tested justices or judges on the court. And I've even said, too, look— why don't we just elevate senators to the Supreme Court? At least they have a record we can look at, right? Amen. You have three. Yeah. You have three yeah. clerk, former, former Supreme Court clerks in the Senate right now. Put one of them on the court. Amen. We know we know where they'll be on everything. Yep, I agree. <laughs> I think Mike Lee can make a lot bigger, a lot more, and Ted Cruz would make a lot more difference being on the U.S. Supreme Court than just being one of a voice and the you know that's often ignored in Mitch McConnell's menagerie. I completely agree. Rachel Bovard, excellent essay. Thanks for joining us today. We appreciate it. All right, take care. Thanks for having me. You bet. I want to find out what you guys think about that here in a second. But first, 
I mentioned earlier when I was talking about ScoreMaster, the historically low mortgage interest rates we have right now. You want to take advantage of that to get away from your blue state hell. All right. So you've got California's already said kids won't go to school without vaccines. Now the mayor of New York City says kids won't go. Kids can't go inside of businesses now without taking the jab. All right. If you live in a blue state, if they can, they're going to make it that you can't have a job and you can't send your kids to school without without signing up for reoccurring injections of this experimental technology. Get out if you can. Use our friends at realestateagentsitrust.com to help you. Because when it comes to these unprecedented times, Bing. you can't even take where you live nowadays for granted. All right? Take advantage of realestateagentsitrust.com. Get lined up with an agent with a vetted, proven track record of success. Uh, take advantage of the historically low interest rates at the exact same time. Head to the website, realestateagentsitrust.com. Again, it's realestateagentsitrust.com. Thoughts? So whether it's the the conversation we had with Sean Davis earlier in the show, or whether it's what we just talked about with Rachel Bovard, it's kind of akin to um, watching watching your favorite football team. They're down by three, four touchdowns, and it's in the third quarter. So there's a real outside shot that they could come back. Um, but you're just waiting around for that final kill shot, that final kill shot so you can go and watch something else. A couple weeks ago, it was Iowa against Wisconsin. I stuck around in the third quarter, looked like they had a chance to come back. Two straight fullback dives into a 59-man front. I'm watching something different. We're watching that right now with the social compact, Hmm. these institutions in D.C. We're waiting for one more moment to say, uh, yeah, this is not working. We're going somewhere else. Whether it's the intel community, the FBI, all of those who had a role to play in the discredited Steele dossier, that was the nail in the coffin. That has to be blown up. There's no reforming it. It has to be blown up. Or the conservative legal movement, or, or really the idea of putting your eggs in the Supreme Court basket. We're looking for one more moment. We're running a fullback two times in a row on third and fourth down into a 59-man front. Is this really the moment? Is it really over here? Do I need to look at other options? I think that's kind of the theme of, uh, of the two conversations we had today with Sean Davis and Rachel Bovard. Anything, Todd? Her comment there at the end about why don't we just appoint senators, that's the whole, like, we love lying to ourselves about this, of, you know, what... This is not about politics. We'd say that in school board elections, too. We just need to stop lying to ourselves first, and then maybe we got a shot in the game. We don't even acknowledge what the game is now. Hmm. That'll do it for today's show. Back at it again tomorrow, noon to 2 Eastern, right after Glenn Beck. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.